With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends, once again, uh, back after our typical hiatuses for uh, whatever reasons. This is uh, Ed McGrogan and Steve Tigner back with a long overdue Tennis.com podcast um, right before the French Open, so no shortage of things to discuss, and I think... Honestly, we have talked, um, you know, a lot about really what's happened on the ATP side of things for um, because of really, you know, what you've seen from Novak Djokovic and and what's been quite a year from him in many different ways. Rafa's resurgence, Federer taking a back seat, Murray still kind of holding on to the number one ranking, really in number only, and. Uh, and I think with that said, I really want to talk a lot more about the WTA, which I think is a lot less definitive. I mean, it's not even a question of, of really, uh, you know, how we how we view the landscape as compared to the ATP. It's not even uh, it's not even comparable. When you look at the uh, you just bring up the WTA website, um, uh, you know, a website that uh, I, I must say has been a little more difficult to navigate uh with some of the changes there especially in the you would agree on that steve right yeah i don't know if it was an attempt to simplify things but um yeah it's hard to it's hard to get around or maybe maybe they're halfway through working on it hopefully hopefully yes yeah the matches part especially is the big one there that's 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 just uh necessary fruit for us here so but if you look at the rankings page um on the site it's as clear as day why I think this is so hard to figure out. You have you have a a a number one in the rankings of Angelique Kerber, who has had nothing short of just a horrific start to the season so far. And you look to the next part of that and you, you look at the number one in the race to Singapore, which is effectively essentially taking just this year's points and stacking them up against everybody else. And it's Elena Svitolina, who has had a very a very good year. There's no denying that. But you wouldn't think at the same time that she should really be number one in anything at this, at this stage of things. Certainly impressive thus far. But I think in a way that might say it all as, as to this really odd sort of landscape as we head into um, Roland Garros. Like, you know, what do you kind of make of how things have shaken out to this point uh, on the WTA side? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, without Serena, you knew it was going to be, there wasn't going to be anybody definitive, but I think, I, I, you know, I think it's much, you know, much more wide open than we ever would have thought. I guess that's because Kerber, who seemed to be the natural, um, the person who would who would take over at number one, who who seemed ready to do that last year, she hasn't done that. Um, she's lost badly at the last two tournaments. hasn't had a 
hasn't had a good clay season, hasn't had a good season at all. Um, and, but, it, it, you know, other than the Australian Open, that kind of mirrors her 2016. She really didn't get going again until grass courts and, and Wimbledon. So if, if we're going to go by last year, I wouldn't even expect her to do much at the French Open. Um, then you've got, you know, you've got Kerber, who should do better at Wimbledon, Pliskova also, who should do better at Wimbledon. Um, you know, Johanna Conta, probably somebody should do better at Wimbledon. So right now, you know, you've got top players who aren't on their best surface. So it's making it seem even more kind of, um, you know, in the open. The only, I'd say the only player who's really made a strong move, uh, you mentioned Svitolina in, in Rome, but is Simona Halep. She, she's the betting favorite. She was a betting favorite a month ago, even after she, had, even before she'd even won a tournament this year for the French Open. That's how, that's how open things are. But she, you know, since then she's shown, she's she's shown, she, you know, she's kind of turned around her game, her confidence. I think you'd have, you know, she's been to a French Open final. I think if we're gonna, if we're gonna look at any one person right now, it's gonna be her. Yeah, it's. Um... Halep does stick out for that reason, and it's funny you mentioned the betting favorites there because, you know, I think of everybody that we've just mentioned, um, you know, she is, Halep, of course, would be the favorite, but I'm pretty sure Bovada or somebody put out some odds before it was determined whether Maria Sharapova would even be playing the French Open, um, and I think they actually listed her if not the favorite, it, it was it was second at worst, at lowest, and um, you know to come back from a year from a year plus away and to kind of already have that assumed impact is 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 just staggering there. And want to mention one more thing about Kerber. It's you know her year has been has been so difficult at this point that she is. She's number one in the rankings, but actually she is not. She's number thirteen in the race to Singapore, which is, um, I think, pretty hard to do to have that kind of disparity in actual ranking to where you end up from this from January of this year to this point five months later. It's 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 uh, it's tough to get your head around a little bit. And and you make a good point about players on um, their you know, least successful surface and what that may mean even for the immediate future, sort of like this may not even really be over yet in a way. And I, I wonder if Roland Garros really offers almost any opportunity for some sort of resolution in where we think things are on the tour and and, and how we're assessing players this year, or is it, you know, is it a thing where we really will need to wait until you know Wimbledon for one, where we'll probably see Sharapova, uh, probably see Sharapova assuming she qualifies. You may see Kvitova Azarenka back as well, um, but I, you know, or this may, you know, this may just turn out to be sort of a, a year where it's really hard to kind of figure and, and define any real momentum um, with obviously the. Um, Obviously, with Serena Williams out and kind of a very just uh, a very a landscape that's just hard to 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 keep grounded for any number of reasons. Yeah, I think Wimbledon. You know, if you if you see Kvitova, Azarenka um, return there, and you see Kerber sort of more comfortable, Pliskova more comfortable, um, I think then you know Kanta potentially 
better there. Venus Williams, uh, Madison Keys. I think maybe then you get a sense of then a more orderly uh, situation on the WTA. So I think through the French Open, though, it's going to be it's it's this sort of um, free for all where probably somebody somebody you know will somebody can feel like this is their chance to win a grand slam and maybe their only chance to win a grand slam another player like that this you know is is Kristina Mladenovic um you know she's a player like a lot like Svitolina who sort of you wonder how much can she do at a grand slam she's never done a lot at a slam but she's had a good year probably been along with Svitolina you know maybe Mladenovic has been the most improved player of the year she's going to be in Paris, that you know, that's another person. Here's her chance. Suddenly, um, I feel like that's where we are with a lot of players. Yeah, I mean, I was actually going to bring on Mladenovic and those who, you know, when we're talking about Roland Garros and and who we might, you know, want to be watching closely. You know, you mentioned her just now. I mean, we talked about help just a little bit. It it, it does seem like for her. Um, you can't really ask for things to sort of break the way they have to just to knock off that long awaited major. And, you know, her play in Madrid and Rome, obviously, you know, only really bolsters those chances. And the only sort of um, issue with that is that she of course will probably be the favorite. Um, Certainly not a, a, a massive one by any means considering her history in some slams where she's been, um, you know, given a very high seed, but she will have to navigate that pressure as much as she will have to navigate the, um, the opponents in front of her. And, you know, the other name that I think clearly sticks out that we're, I think sort of waiting kind of for, you know, really her to really just announce herself once again is Garban Muguruza, who we haven't mentioned at this point. Um, Still number five in the rankings, and you know clearly it's clearly someone who uh who has had success at uh Roland Garros 4. She is the defending champion and um and it seems like a long long time ago that that actually happened. Yeah, it's sort of hard to connect her this year with with that player last year. She's also coming off now of a off a neck injury where she was forced to retire in in Rome. I mean, you know, she's had her moments so far this year. She and you can't count her out for the French Open because the first half of 2016, she wasn't very good either. She had a good tournament in Rome, made the semis there last year, and then won the French. So I wouldn't pick her to win the French Open, but but it's not like she's coming in all that much different than the way she came in, you know, 12 months ago. Um, you know, maybe she's injured now, and that that of course is a difference. But but um, she can, you know, she seems to be able to, like Halep, you know the the issue is confidence and, and it can turn around for her for a two or three week period and then go away again just as quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do think that, you know, for, for all of the, um, you know, the American on clay struggles that, that, you know, that trope that's been, that's been used all the time around this time of year, it's, it is a good opportunity for, uh, for Venus and Madison, as you say, um, you know, we, we cannot, overlook that you know venus was um aussie open semifinalist um keys of course just coming back that would be a, a pretty tall order for her considering um where she's at all of them including coco vandaway as well certainly more um promising on the grass obviously with with all their games but 
you know, I think the, you know, one thing I think will, that you can, which is all, which has often happened is the draw is so pivotal to how things will shake out. We know what the draw will, um, be to a great degree on the men's on the ATP side. You'll have um, Djokovic, Murray, Rafa, and Stan um, on one of the quarters there. Um, you know, the, really the wild cards are kind of where Dominic Team ends up, things like that. But I think it's a lot more uh, reliant on sort of where the draw shakes out for um, for the WTA side of Roland Garros here. Yeah, I don't know if, when that draw comes out who who anyone's going to pick to win the tournament. I don't even know if it's it's going to be the most tentative. Yeah, right. Uh, choice and tentative favorites. You know, even if you pick Halep, how how sure are you of that? Um, there, there's no such thing as a hot take when it yeah. comes to uh, <laughs> right. when it comes to picking the the winner for that. Yeah. Um, you know, let's mention somebody who will not see it, Roland Garros, who I've we've alluded to, Maria Sharapova. Um, she has said that, you know, and I think wisely that she didn't, you know, not putting the uh, All All England Club in position to ask for a wild card because it was denied by the FFT. Um, it was very unlikely with that sort of precedent set that they would admit her uh, into a wild card position. At Wimbledon, so she'll play that, uh, and you know, but she has she has played a few clay events already, pretty big ones uh, in in Stuttgart, Madrid, and Rome, um, you know, with some success uh, in some of them, and certainly, obviously, um, some defeats, which are not to be uh, you know not unexpected, obviously, given her time away. You know, what have you seen from watching um, Maria so far after a year and change worth of? Uh, you know, collecting dust for a bit. I thought she looked good, you know, considering the year off, probably better than and was more successful right away than than I even would have thought. The everything is still basically the same. Also, and some of the flaws, the double faults, and and maybe she seemed a little moved a little slower. Um, wasn't moving quite as well. Um, maybe not quite as as sort of in in complete shape for for matches as as she normally would be but that's the only difference you know the mental side is still exactly the same maybe she's even more focused to try to prove herself again um you know i thought i thought giving her a wild card into the qualifying of the french open made sense you know i i wrote about it last week i thought their reasons for not allowing her were completely justified and respectable and and i don't think anybody could complain about that i still thought that she'd done enough time away from the tour already. And that, and that if you didn't want her allow her into the tournament itself and skip the line that into the uh, wild card in the qualifiers qualifiers would have been, would have been okay too. Um, but I was sort of swayed by, by the, what the French Federation said and, and the stand they took. And it's, you know, it's kind of good and lucky that she's able to, she's able to get into Wimbledon, at least play the qualifying and, and sort of not have to, have that decision made again yeah i mean this is um you know this you know we were just talking about you know precedence here i mean this this was um you know sharapova has certainly been the example that the tennis bodies have really um have made against the uh you know i think sort of sort of bubbling talk of 
of uh, of really you know doping in the sport over the past few years. It's almost like we've you know as as a sport you you've seen it in so many other sports and you're almost you know kind of waiting for really a, a, something of a case to come out in tennis just because it, it almost seems inevitable um in a sport of so many players and um and yeah I think you can only I think you can only hope of this situation that maybe what has happened to Sharapova you know during what is arguably still the prime of her career, she, you know, not far removed from, you know, um, Grand Slam titles, that it is really the ultimate cautionary tale um, in terms of in terms of doping in the sport. And I think that's, you know, it's it's still it's it's never a great sort of situation. I, I don't I don't know if I don't think silver linings are really the the term to apply to this all, um, but I think that. This case over the past year and a half has gotten a lot of attention, not even just within the tennis sphere. And I, I you know, I think it's probably, in a way, something the sport can, um, the sport and its participants can, you know, kind of learn from a bit. But, yeah, I think you know, you don't want one of your stars. A sport doesn't want one of its stars to be caught doping, but at the same time, it does show that they were willing to punish a star. Um, that the ITF was willing to suspend her, and the French Open was willing to, um, you know, not invite her back. So, in that sense, there is a, a sort of, I would say, a positive in that sense that shows the tennis, in this case, is at least willing to take willing to take this seriously and not give her a give her a pass. Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly the way it's uh, the way it's all played out. Um... I want to point out one more thing about the rankings too is you know we just came off a week in um, there's a pretty good stat that um, the inimitable Greg Shark or the ATP pointed out that it was the first time in um, decades I believe that the eight the ATP top five was all over the age of 30 and uh, that's partially because you have uh, had within eight days the 30th birthdays of of Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray. Um, but the WTA is actually not that far, you know, it's, it's not as if the WTA is, is a, a much younger counterpart to that. This is also a very veteran tour. Um, you end up, you know, all of the top four on the, uh, on the WTA are 25 and older. There's only two players among the top 12 that are under 24, um, the, you know, the, the age difference, you know, the, the 30, the 30 year old status is still much more on the men's side, but you know, what's, what's happened here is, you know, there has been, um, again, sort of a gradual aging of this, of this tour as well. And, you know, you kind of think about, you know, really Serena Williams, you know, still remains really a, a figure that must be discussed amongst all of this, even though she will not be back this season for pregnancy. Um, and you kind of wonder really where, you know, what the future of, of this is all for the WTA. There's, in my opinion, there's not really any established top tier um, after Serena. It's not as if there is this level of players that are you know ready to kind of assume assume control of it once she definitely decides to, to call it a career but 
as well, there's not even really sort of the can't-miss youngsters like an Alexander Zverev or a Nick Kyrgios on the ATP side. So I think the tour, I think the WTA at the moment um, is kind of caught in this area of, you know, again, waiting for the a select number of players, whether they're, you know, in the top 10 or have not even emerged to, you know, to really emerge. And it's um, it's kind of a interesting future to think about you know, considering, you know, how important Serena has always been to the game, whether you're a fan of hers or not. Yeah, you wonder whether she can come back after that amount of time off. I think she will try and probably – I think she will come back next year. Um, but, I do as well, actually. But, you know, after that, how long, how long reasonably will she – be able to play or want to play into her late 30s so yeah i mean the the players who have come up and established themselves at the top in the last 10 years have just been a handful really um you know sharapova azarenka halep ugarusa you know and you know even they aren't always at the top um Radwanska. so that group and then the next group also is you know hasn't established itself completely you know completely like madison keys you know they there's still ups and downs and injuries and and you know a sort of erratic play there they're not always at the at the you know challenging for the slams um i guess you'd have to go start to think that there won't be a you know there won't be a sort of um ruling class sort of top group that's always there you know maybe maybe if kerber Gets uh, straightens herself out as Aranka comes back and Pliskova. I think Pliskova is somebody who will see challenge at Wimbledon in the U.S. Open, and we may sort of we may sort of forget this little moment, uh, you know, this more sort of chaotic moment, chaotic spring by the time Wimbledon and, and the U.S. Open are played. But but yeah, um, I think now you start to realize how much how how little sort of things are organized once Serena's not there. Yeah, it's um it, it's it's hard it's certainly hard to define a bit with it and um you know I sort of not that she is is the example of kind of a lost generation but I you know I sort of I sort of saw you know when we had Jeannie Bouchard a couple of years ago really rock it up and I think really sort of command the stage for a bit. Um, and, you know, just as quickly she has, you know, kind of really fallen off, you know, course for that. And I, and I, I think of a lot of examples of those stops and starts that, um, that ultimately sort of bring the discussion point always back to Serena and to a lesser extent Venus Williams and how for, you know, going on 20 years, um, you know, it, it still remains, you know, their tour in some respects. I mean, it's it, it it's always one of those tough things. We, we we look back at this year's Australian Open. You know, you had two throwback semi, you had two throwback finals. Excuse me, on the men's and women's side, and those are very compelling for obvious dramatic reasons in certain ways. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, by by definition, those mean that we're we're kind of in a way stuck in the past too, to some degree. So it's, it's always kind of a, a two edged thing. Um, you know, when you see, uh, see how the tours have kind of, uh, again, sort of aged much more than ever before. I guess mentally the women, 
with Serena there, they can never, they don't really have the pressure of, oh, I can win this tournament or I should win this tournament. There's never that thought. It's sort of how deep can I get in the tournament? Let's see whether somebody can beat Serena. Will I have to play Serena? You know, it's always sort of, it's always sort of with the idea that she's there and is expected to win the tournament. So you can, you can kind of hide in a way pressure wise, but when she's not in the tournament, it forces a different kind of pressure on these players. And it will be interesting to see if anyone who, or if anyone can kind of take that on themselves. Kerber did that last year, but hasn't done it this year. You know, is Pliskova somebody who can look at herself as, as the favorite when Serena's not there and, and play to win the tournament is, is Halep have that kind of confidence. I think it requires a, a different mindset and who, who can transition. Um, that's something that I think will be interesting the rest of the year. Yeah. And at Roland Garros, especially, I mean, this, this very well could be one of the examples of where the tour is after, um, you know, without Serena at a certain point. So it's a, it's a good, it's a good observation about the, uh, you know, just the just the psychological impact of, of her not being there, and and that obviously there is tremendous um, tremendous opportunity to gain for whomever uh, wants to take that mantle on. So um, I think with that we will uh, we'll wait until Friday's draw to kind of give further input on where uh, where we think this might go in Paris. Uh, for the WTA, obviously the ATP as well. We'll have um, a lot of thoughts on the, on their draw as well. Uh, the tennis starts on Sunday. This is the uh, this is one of the fifteen. This is the uh, the only fifteen day major, mm-hmm. uh, which which I actually think last year the Sunday was not sort of a throwaway. I think it was actually quite a bit happened and it was pretty recent, but I think progressively it's been, yeah. I think they started, you know, they started, they got the word. Of, yeah. It's like a half day, but now they've turned it into a full day and it makes sense. It's a, it's a weekend, you know? Yes. Yeah. Holiday weekend in the U S as every grand slam falls on mm. just pointing that out there. <laughs> um, so we'll be back uh, on Friday with a lot more on Roland Garros specifically uh, through the week. Um, plenty of French Open uh, previews, talking points on Tennis.com, also TennisChannel.com, and obviously Roland Garros will be broadcast extensively on Tennis Channel. First ball um, starting Sunday through the fortnight. Um, that's where you want to be for your coverage, you know, even for the, even for this week, qualifying on tennis channel plus by tcplus.com for that. And, uh, we'll have, um, yeah, I think some special things during the tournament, um, pertaining to, and I, I think I'll leave it at this, but you know, there's one anniversary 30 years ago that we wanted to hit on. It is, um, WTA specific, that we'll hit on later in the the term, which you'll want to check out as well on tennis.com. So for Steve Tigner and Ed McGrogan, thank you for for, uh, dealing with the latest hiatus here on the tennis.com podcast, a tradition unlike any other. Thank you very much. You've been enjoying the tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.